This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Let me explain to you what we do here at the Song Confessional. We record people telling us stories anonymously, and we call these confessions. We give our favorite confessions to songwriters and bands, who then turn those stories into new original songs. On this podcast, you will hear the confession, you'll hear the song it inspired, and an interview with the songwriters. I'm sitting here with my favorite little seaworthy vessel. Tell them your name. What is up? I'm Zach Catanzaro. Hey, Zach. Hey, I got a question for you. If you could go on a trip right now, anywhere in the world, where would you go? You're going to make me cry because in three days I should be on my honeymoon in Italy. We were going to be there for three and a half weeks, something like that, traveling all over. It was going to be beautiful and amazing and wonderful and... And to really twist the knife and provide some context for our uh, listeners here, you have been postponing this trip for quite some time. It was already going to be pretty much two years after we got married, and now it's like we're going to be celebrating our fifth anniversary with our potential honeymoon. That sucks, man. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I'd love to go a lot of places, but I'm feeling the loss this week, so I'd have to say Italy. Yeah, that's pretty... that, That sounds magnificent it would be i would go fucking anywhere right now though walker i would i would go to louisiana and have a goddamn blast all of my fiance's family is there so if you want to go stay with them hey we I, can make that happen I, I, i'm almost there they I'm need child there. care they need so child care you, you can work while you're there can be a work trip perfect how about how about you where would you be going well before we uh got together to make this episode the thing i wanted to do the most was uh go to a city right like uh, right before the pandemic i went to mexico city yeah and i really i had the the best nine days i absolutely loved it and i i tapped back into this thing haven't felt in a long a very long time which is going to a city where you don't know shit oh yeah and just exploring i've really wanted to explore uh oaxaca lately too that's been oh yeah high on my list of places to go uh, me as well, yeah. and and that that trip really really tapped back into that. I really tapped back into that feeling. But since making this episode, all I want to do now is be on a boat in water and the ocean. I want to be Hell on yeah. the ocean. Have you ever gone sailing? I have gone sailing. I have two uncles who are uh, re- really great sailors. So when I was Part of my childhood was going to family reunions every few years, and sometimes there was a boat there, and I would just be a little kid. I, I really love sailing. I, sailing is a great uncle quality. That's <laughs> such like a yeah. I got this uncle that sails a lot. That's just as far as I'm concerned. That's it's a great. Prereq. That's a it's really a really good to uncle being quality. an uncle. Yeah. I'm like, well, do you sail? I'm gonna have to take some more sailing lessons. Well, I have enough. Uh, men in their 60s in my life, and you don't sail, so you're <laughs> no longer an uncle. You're no longer an uncle. Yeah. More about sailing in a little bit, but before that, we want to tell you about our band, Houndmouth. Houndmouth. What a name, Houndmouth. I really regret not asking them why that is their band name. Yeah, you're you're probably going to get fired over that one. I lost, You heard it here first. <laughs> Houndmouth has been all over the place for the past five plus years, seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. They uh, they blew up here at South by Southwest. That was when they first got noticed. Right. So, Didn't they get a record deal from South by from Southwest? From South by Southwest. Remember when that used to happen? The South by Legend. <laughs> yeah. I hear about it happening yeah. a lot, but still little evidence. Well, and, and signed to Rough Trade, which is mm-hmm. one of the coolest labels forever in my heart for signing the Smiths. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Since their debut album in 2013, they've been pretty much everywhere. You've probably seen them on Letterman, Conan, maybe at ACL, maybe at Bonnaroo, maybe at Lala, uh, Last Call with Carson Daly. I mean, you you name it, they've performed it, they've taped it, they've been there. They have been a, a pretty ubiquitous presence in the Americana indie rock kind of crossover uh, world. We became familiar with them because way back in 2015... Uh, we were high on the hog. Sure, that's what that yeah, means. Yeah, high on the hog. Why and, not? And uh, 
courting lots of different managers and one I thought you were going to say lots of different men for a second courting <laughs> lots of different men um and one of these men offered us an opening slot for Houndmouth on a few shows in Texas and uh we didn't take the show because we were playing at the X Games. Oh, that was why we didn't take those shows? That's <laughs> which, hilarious. Which is so funny. We should have taken those shows. <laughs> we played at the X Games, which if you don't know what it's like to play at the X Games, here's what it is. You literally play for no one in an empty amphitheater and then Metallica plays. Yeah. <laughs> and all of rural Texas shows up to see Metallica. That was such a weird show. It was so weird. One of the yeah. biggest, emptiest stages we've ever played. I think that, what's the capacity I, at that amphitheater? 15,000? It's big. It's yeah. big. We had 15. Yeah, no one was there. Yeah. So I was regretted not taking those Houndmouth shows. But anyway, that's how we heard about this band. Yeah. Yeah. You'll learn more about Houndmouth in my interview with Matt. But before that, you got to hear this confession. This is the first confession in several weeks that there's absolutely no discussion of mental health struggle in any way. Yay. That said, this has got to be one of the most stomach-churning stories to date. When a friend asks if you want to sail from Hawaii to California, you say yes. What our confessor didn't realize was they were about to sail straight into a hurricane. Well, without further ado, here's this week's confession. Confession! Thank you. So, uh, in 2014, I want to say, one of my really good friends, uh, who's kind of a, like a world-class sailor, who's always like, you know, working on boats or sailing across different oceans and whatnot, called me up and was like, hey, I heard you're into this, that hippie shit. Uh, do you want to sail across the Pacific Ocean to collect uh, plastic samples for the, the Ocean Cleanup Project? And I was like, oh, across the Pacific Ocean? That sounds kind of heavy. Like, I, you know, I like went to summer camp and, like, did the little picos and the plastic boats and whatnot, but I've never done anything that epic. But it also felt like something like, you know, when someone offers you the opportunity to sail across the Pacific Ocean, you should probably take them up on it, especially if you can get the time off from work. Uh, no planning required on my part, minus like the, the paid time off and thinking about like, you know, what, what supplies does one take on a boat in the first mm -hmm. place. Yeah. Uh, and I ziplocked everything I had, all my electronics, everything, because I was like, you know, I don't know how much storm there's going to be. So I flew into Hawaii uh, to get on the boat Hokahe. Um, and, you know, he's my friend, we're kind of talking, getting, you know, figuring out how we're going to how, how teaching me how to sail basically and uh, a hurricane is rolling in and he's a really good sailor he's, you know, he's navigated the world by himself crews so I, you know, I trust him but we were delayed for like a week or two in Hawaii um, because of this hurricane that was kind of causing problems and so he kind of comes to us the crew and he's like okay so if we leave tomorrow at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. it's gonna be a really hard first few days but we can punch through the hurricane, we can kind of get above, and we'll kind of beat the rest of the fleet. That is, um, it's not that it was a race, but we can kind of, you know, we won't be stuck here for another two weeks. And I already, you know, was missing time from work, so I was like, oh my. It's like, do I, do I take the chance, or do we do? But I trusted him, so I was like, yeah, we should go, we should go do this. And so we, we set sail, we're a crew of uh, me, uh, George, uh, his sister, uh, a person we hired, or he hired, to kind of like, who wanted to get enough miles to kind of get a captain's license, so he was kind of here for the experience. And then we had um, two people who were kind of with us because of the Ocean Cleanup Project. So we had a Belgian uh, journalist and a Belgian scientist on the board um, who were really cool uh, people. But so we basically, we, we set off, sails go up, immediately the boat you know, heels over because when you're going upwind, you're kind of at a 45 degree angle. And I didn't, I didn't think about that, that I was going to be living at like 45 degrees for the next two weeks because yeah. <laughs> it was an upwind sail the whole way. Uh, and immediately one of the, the Belgian uh, journalists, she throws up like right off the bat, <laughs> just boom, and then she's below deck for the next three days. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we kind of lose sight of land and I'm starting to like really freak out because, you know, I have, you know, you think about it like we're, we're really going to be gone, not just like a day sail, we're going to come back, like we're about to go deep, you know, no, 
nobody for miles for, for a long time. It was really intense because uh, the, hur the hurricane hits. <laughs> and so for the first three or four days, um, as, as George said, we kind of were baptized by fire in, in this one because we had to tie ourselves to the boat um, while, we were, while we were sailing. Wow. And you're sailing in shifts of like three hours on, four hours off, three hours on, four hours off. So you're kind of, your time's all weird. Um, and at night, uh, you use red, red lamps because uh, it lets you see, but they don't burn your eyes like a white light does. And so I, I remember the first night, you know, like huddled in my, like my little hammock bunk, trying to like, be like, you're going to live, you're going to live, you're going to live. <laughs> and actually, I will say like, once the, the storm hit, I, w I was dating uh, my, my now fiance, Julianne at the time. Um, and I kind of was like doing that kind of like, oh, like we're together and we're happy, but like, let's not think about the future. And I kind of like was like, it immediately clarified. I was like, no, you dumb like motherfucker. You were going to, you were going to survive this sale because you're going to go back and you're going to marry like your wife because holy shit, like <laughs> this is like yeah. really lightning bolt kind of clarity there. We uh, were sailing and I remember, so we had, we had a bunch of um, barrels of, I think it was diesel um, because they're the doldrums in the Pacific. And so if you run out of wind, you know, you kind of want to motor through and uh, because we were kind of short on time, you know, if you're kind of being casual, you can kind of just like, you know, power through the doldrums and, you know, try to sail. But um, we, need, we were on a kind of tight schedule. We had to get samples from the Pacific Garbage Patch. So we decided to bring a bunch of fuel with us in case we kind of got dead in the water. Mm -hmm. um, but the first night, uh, I'm, you know, trying to sleep or trying to like, you know, <laughs> not think about the fact that like everything's creaking and that the mast is moving. Yeah. That like we're in a hurricane and the waves are like 30 feet tall. <laughs> Um, it's impossible to pee, you know, when you're at a 45 degree angle and the waves are like going crazy. So that was like a whole process. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't think I peed for like three days actually at the first part because it was just like so scary the entire time. But um, but anyway, so all of a sudden they're yelling up top. They're like, oh my god, get up now, get up now. And I'm like, oh god, what the fuck's going on? And we get up deck and, bec and I, I, because I mentioned the red light, uh, everything's kind of like bathed in this like hellish red light because it's like you need to see. But uh, one of the lines had snapped, and all the, the barrel, our fuel barrels were like kind of just like rolling around loose in like in the in the hull, and so like and these things are like you know they're like I don't know how many gallons, but they're like the size of like you know they're at least four feet or three feet tall, and so they're filled with fuel, fuel, and so they're really heavy, and you're on an angle, and you're on a hurricane, and we're like oh fuck, we can't lose our fuel, and so so I'm like using my legs to like prop them up and move them back into place because they're too heavy to kind of just like use your, like your hand muscles or whatever. We're trying to like tie them down, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die in this kid's boat. <laughs> yeah. And, and like intellectually, I knew that I probably wasn't going to, but like viscerally, physically, it really felt like fuck. So, eventually, we power. Oh, then there's a lightning storm the next night, uh, and that was intense. But it was far off. It was far off enough that it was almost like beautiful to look at, as opposed to, to horrifying. Oh, you weren't like in it. We were in the the winds and the waves, but uh, and the rain, but the lightning was a few miles off. And how many days in were you at this point? One. This was like the trip the first night. Oh my god, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the trip was actually very, very mellow and enjoyable. Um, and so after we get through the hurricane, and we had to repair our sails because they were torn and tattered, um, and uh, had to re re redo some electrical stuff for like the kind of like the lights, um, at that point it started to be nice. <laughs> um, because the, the Pacific Ocean is, you know, is a beautiful ocean, and at night um, there are bioluminescent organisms that, when you the water gets agitated, they uh, they glow, and so it's almost kind of like Avatar, where you're kind of you're sailing, and there's there's zero light pollution, so you can see all the stars, and, like the best stars I'll ever see, I'm sure, and then in the water it's all glowing blue, and so it's like this, and, like you know, a wave will splash the sail, and the sail will kind of like whoosh, like goes blue for a second, uh, and that was absolutely beautiful. It's um, amazing, and it also was great because. You know the I forgot George had a word for it, but I can't remember now. But uh, um, it was a Japanese word for kind of like essentially camaraderie forged through like hardship, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was great because you know when you're sailing for three or four hours and you have no obviously no cell phone or service, you can't really like necessarily read because you might lose your book. You can't have your phone out because it might go overboard. <laughs> yeah. All there really is is to kind of tell stories, and so that was really wonderful because it was. Um, you know, it was three people who I never met before. Um, the, the Belgian uh, journalist was, or scientist was on my shift, um, and a guy named uh, her name is Tamara, and a guy named Mark, who was kind of a, scuba, a pro scuba diver who had like freed sharks from like, you know, being trapped in like you know fishing lines and things like that. He was a super cool dude, uh, and he was kind of the, the the guy who was doing the skippering on my shift. And so we kind of we we swapped stories for like two weeks, and that was just a wonderful thing to kind of uh, to kind of. Think about all your own personal history and think about what was you know a good story to tell and then to hear their stories and kind of you just would kind of cycle through them over well, and over again yeah and, and as you get older you know it's it's hard to find 
you don't make new connections like that like mm -hmm. you do when you're a kid you know when you're a kid you have all the time in the world so yeah but when you're older it's really it's so, so special to spend that much time with people it was yeah know? it really it really was and uh and if, if initially there's like a decent amount of like wildlife that you're seeing like there's like you know some dolphins or some whales or something or uh, you know seagulls and birds but maybe three or four days in there's almost no life out there that you're that you can see obviously there's a lot happening beneath you <laughs> but you mm -hmm. can't really see it um but one of the things that we did see a lot, which I loved and ended up getting a tattoo of, uh, were the flying fish, uh, because they would kind of, they would break the the monotony of, of not seeing anything. They would kind of burst out of the water like a squadron of uh, these, these beautiful flying fish. Wow. And they would kind of fly around and you know, you'd wake up and there'd be a few flopping on the deck and you kind of kick them back in the water because you, you love them you want them to be okay. Um, and it was also cool because it kind of changed as the journey went on because uh, in Hawaii, they were kind of neon green and with yellow wings, and then as we got, you know, we crossed thousands of miles, you kind of almost saw like the kind of like the Galapagos effect in like real time, where they became blue and silver as we got closer and closer to California. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and then at one point I joked like we should get tattoos of flying fish, and I was like, no, you should do that. And so, so George and I, the captain, both got flying fish tattoos afterwards. How did the research aspect go? I mean, did they accomplish what they wanted to? Yes, they did actually. So we, so we were, so the reason why this whole thing was happening was because there's this, a big race that happens every you know X number of years called the Trans Pack, which is when people race from California to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, but then you know the, the people who own the boats usually fly back, and then they have they pay someone to like deliver the boat back. But so it's like this kind of rare moment because the garbage patch is not a piece of uh, ocean that is trafficked very much, and so it's kind of hard to collect data or a lot of data on it. And mm -hmm. so the, the ocean cleanup people noticed like oh my god after the trans pack there are like all these sailboats going through the garbage patch this is the perfect opportunity for us to get some data on like can we actually clean up the ocean <laughs> yeah um, and so we had this device called the manta or the manta ray i can't remember if it was full-on manta ray and it was like this kind of uh a, this steel frame with wings um and a big sack at the tail end of it and we would drag it behind the boat at a certain speed uh and, and kind of log where we were uh in the ocean to collect plastic samples um, and that part was kind of uh that was actually scary obviously because you look at the water and it looks beautiful it looks like a very clean ocean and then you pull up the bag and it looks it's like snow and that snow is all like plastic particles because it's breaking down so that was that was that part was pretty sobering um wow but the good news was ultimately that uh the plastic hasn't broken down into such small pieces that we can't still sieve it out of the ocean and even as we speak right now uh the ocean cleanup has deployed their first boom basically that that is that is passively collecting the plastic so the uh the uh the research was a success um in that the boats kind of all i think there's 70 or 80 of them that went across that proved that uh the, the plan was viable you could uh set up these these nets to to collect the collect the plastic out of the ocean that is a really awesome story man thank you i figured you know something this this was like this would be a good one <laughs> may, may i ask you uh, one detailed question of course uh, what was your fiance's name again julianne and so when you got back how long until you proposed well that was fun i, I played the long game with that i knew immediately um and so we, i planned uh, she never left the country so i was planning a trip to italy um and this actually also this is actually also a very funny story but i'll, I'll be quick with this one because i know that i took a long time already but no, um, you're good you're good but basically uh, she never left the country before, and so we were going to go to Italy. And to to everyone in the world, including her, it seemed very obvious. Like, oh, of course, we're planning a trip that's a year out, big trip, romantic trip. We obviously are going to get you know engaged, but I really wanted it to be a surprise. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had to like fake uh, <laughs> that we weren't that, we, that I was like really upset that she kept like pressuring me to try and propose, even though of course I like I like knew with dead certainty like yep spending my life with this woman yeah but I I, I had to you know give her a surprising moment in spite of the fact that she was certain it was gonna happen and so mm -hmm. we like you know there were like several like quote unquote fights where I was like it's really you know unfair of you to like put all this pressure on me for like for this trip right now and she and then she'd be like I'm so sorry you're right like I just like I felt like it was important for me to talk about it and I was like no you should you should express your feelings blah blah blah. And like literally everyone, uh, I didn't tell anyone, but everyone of course knew it was coming because yeah. uh, we've been together for years at this point. But I, I had managed to at least convince uh, convince my fiance that that we were definitely not <laughs> going to get engaged on this trip. And she had like come to peace with it. She kind of like you know kind of like she's like I'm still going to have a great time. It's going to be great. And then on the first night we landed in Venice, uh, I proposed uh, on a bridge to her, and she like lost it because she had no idea it was coming. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good story. I'm glad I got to share it. Yeah, I hope you have a good, good uh, rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you.
now here's Some Paradise by Houndmouth. I am talking with Jim Eno, who mixed that track you just heard. Jim, does that song sound like you're on a sailboat? <laughs> like when you listen to it, do you feel like you're on a sailboat? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like I feel like that slide guitar makes me feel that way. You know, there's a wah-wah in there too, I think. True, there is a wah-wah. Tasteful use of wah-wah, hard to do in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gives you that sort of, uh, it's more of a gentle sailing feeling, not a, uh, maybe not a crossing the Pacific sort of feeling, you know? Agree with you. Does that song feel to you like you want to, you want to immediately drop what you're doing and go do something really romantic? Like, do you want to run into the next, you know, run home and tell your wife you love her? Um, let's see. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm trying to see what feeling... <laughs> hey, did you yeah, know I see, used to sail, Walker? I didn't, but that's the most New England thing you've ever told me about yourself. So yeah, you used to sail? Yeah, like, we used to have a sailboat. Ocean? Yeah, we used to have a sailboat uh, uh, in Rhode that's Island. Cool. And we'd get, uh, you know, we'd finish sailing and then we'd have some stuffies. It was great. I, I'm not sure 
either why this is the case either, but it doesn't make me feel like I need to stop what I'm doing and go confess my love. That's not to say, I, th I don't think that song's like a failure. I think it's beautiful and awesome, but it doesn't doesn't capture that feeling for right. me. Right, I agree. I mean, there was this one time we were sailing right around Newport and the wind was really, really bad and my brother almost slipped off the boat. That This song doesn't Damn. make me feel like that, you know? It's more, yeah. it makes, yeah, it definitely doesn't give, give that feeling. It's more it, calm. It kind of... Yeah, it makes me feel like I got too stoned at a party and I had to like take a moment to myself and I'm sitting by myself like outside or in a, you know the bathroom and I have this thought, I'm like, damn, I really love her. I gotta go propose now. But not like I just almost lost my life. You know? <laughs> right. I'm curious, you know, when you were mixing this song, did you did you have any sense what it was about or? Well, no because I did not listen to Confession before I mixed it, which I probably should have. Full disclosure. When you're, well, when you're, when you're working with bands and artists, I mean, do you think as a producer that it's always important for you to know what the song is about? Um, usually I do ask about that, but when I'm mixing, I feel like I sort of try to see what um, feeling and emotion, emotion I get out of the track and just run with it, you know, what I get out of it, as opposed to, um, you know, oh, it's about this, let me make it feel that way. You know, I feel like I definitely took yeah. that approach on this song. Well, you're going to hear a lot more about the making or the writing of this song and how it came to be in my interview with Matt. Interview. Interview. So who am I speaking with right now? Uh, Matt Myers. And what's the name of your band, Matt Myers? Houndmouth. And and where are you right now? Uh, New Albany, Indiana, at a uh, house. We call it the greenhouse. It used to be green, um, but they just chipped away all the green paint this year. So it's just a bit brick house in downtown New Albany. And is this is this house like part of the band? Yeah, it's old. It's in Shane's family's name, um, our drummer, and... It was built in probably the 1800s. Really tall ceilings, same like original decor that his uh, grandparents had, it's like same carpets and stuff. A lot of allergens. So you're in like a dusty old house, basically. Yeah, pretty uh, much. You know, I, I know that you recorded this song um, at the house. Mm -hmm. How long has the band been recording music at this house? Like since day one? Uh, yeah, since day one. Um, we did our first EP with an inbox. We had two two channels and just did the whole thing like that. And that's kind of been our uh, style, kind of like playing live and then just getting the parts. And then like I would do scratch guitar track while Shane would record drums and then we just keep uh, overlapping them over overdubs. Is like your first EP, is that still available or was this like a pre- no, kind of, that's kind still of early history of the band. It's still available. We I think we released it and then we signed with Rough Trade, so then Rough Trade released it. It's awesome. I I think bands that record themselves are 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 capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. They're they're doing much better now than uh musicians and bands that don't know how to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's cuz you can find your own workflow and like it's always sucks going to studios, you know. It's just, yeah. all, it's the worst vibe ever. Yeah. Well, so what is the name of the song that you guys wrote? It was called Hawaii for a while. Oh, it's Some, par some Paradise. Some Paradise. This yeah. is like super common, by the way. There's never like a <laughs> fully agreed upon like final song title by the time right. we get to these interviews. You know? And it was changing like into like, the, even the lyrics of the song were changing like until the last minute. I love it. Well, and so... What was the confession about that inspired the song? It was um, it was a long time ago, but it was a guy who had gone on a big fishing trip, or I don't even know if it was a fishing trip. He was on the water, and he they set off, and they were like some storms were coming in, and he said it was like one of the most intense um, intense situations of his life. Because they, they, they like, 
they legitimately thought they were going to die from the storms and the boat was going to go down. Um, and I have a, I had like a page. I was just writing down like adjectives or things you were saying the whole time. So it's all kind of like a blur. I wish I remembered it better. I guess when you think about the song, like mm-hmm. what is the song about? It's, it's definitely a love song. I mean, it could legitimately be about anything. What do you mean exactly? Like the, the lyrics are kind of intentionally vague? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we kept it. We just kind of like had little checkpoints of like things that we wanted to touch on, but then kind of like painted a different picture altogether, I guess. Yeah. So did you write this song or did you guys write it together? Um, We wrote it together. I had some like we're always tinkering with uh, like musical parts. So we had kind of we kind of like knew what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to go to that like there's like a major two chord in the pre-chorus that we like put dominant seven major two. What I don't know whatever. And uh, it's like this is a fun thing we want to do. Yeah. This sounds this part sounds cool. And we stole it from another song we like. So uh, we <laughs> yeah. knew we wanted to get that was like another checkpoint. It's like well, we'll get to that part and then and then the chorus just kind of came into place. Anyway, we just sat around and kind of like tinkered on the song for probably a good two hours. And then we like fried our brains on it and then came uh-huh. in the next night and with like a fresh, fresh perspective and knocked it out. And knocked it out. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, so you guys kind of work on, you like work things out, the, the three of you. Yeah. Mostly because it's like somebody has an idea and then... We want to like explore everything about the idea, and mm-hmm. and and then we get like hung up. We're like, all right, it, it, like it definitely something definitely needs to happen here. Something like awesome should happen here. <laughs> so then yeah. it's like, you, it, you, then it's up to that person to write something awesome and bring it back. You know. After like nine years of being in a band, do you guys write more songs, or do you write songs more quickly than you did in the early days? Um, no, I'm about the same pace. Like if I don't write for a long time then it takes me a very long time to get back into the swing of things it takes me like months to maybe get three things like three ideas come to fruition but then once those three things start and i stay like diligent about writing then it all just like starts flooding out then i can get like mm-hmm. an album's worth of stuff probably Damn. But it's really just like willpower, which, you know, I sh- like. I I heard somebody say that being a writer is like um, you write for an hour and then beat yourself up for the for another eight hours that you're not writing. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, a couple months ago, I was on Twitter and I saw this writer say this thing. He was like, "I don't enjoy writing books." I enjoy having written books. Yes. I was like, I completely fucking get that. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel about writing songs. Totally. And most days I sit down and it's like, I want to have the product without putting in the work. But Mm -hmm. the only way to get to the work is to like slow yourself down so much to where you're, you could literally enjoy anything. Like you could, (laughs) you could enjoy sitting with yourself for like infinite amount of time. I feel like that's when, the the best stuff comes. You just gotta fucking slow the shit down. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds kind of, but what I'm taking from what you're saying is that you you kind of go in like spurts, and like once you get working, you can yeah. kind of do yeah. You and get it, a lot done, but you got to work back up to it. Definitely. Also, the same with like drinking. It's like you take time off drinking, and then you start feeling good. And then you're like, yeah, I feel great. I feel like I should have like you know start drinking again, having go go party, <laughs> and then, and then, and then that one party leads to like a month of of a uh, consecutive month of like having drinks, you know, like at least every day, and then mm-hmm. you're like, I feel like inherently unhappy and bad. So then you take it like a month off and you get back into it. I feel like that's exactly how writing is. It's like a t- like a muscle. It's like really hitting with me right now because I definitely two days ago was like I need to take like a week off from drinking yeah. straight up <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just well, started that today or mm-hmm. not today I started I stopped drinking like a few days ago I feel great but there's mm-hmm. like this cool pop-up event going on 
uh, down the street, and I, f- I might break that tonight. I'm feeling yeah. frisky. You know, yeah, I, I definitely, the, the regular adult temptations are there, right, with drinking, but then I think when you're a musician, it's like really double, because you can literally just get booze for free at every yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, become, it's just so accessible. Everything's so accessible. So so you guys all live in New Albany. Yeah. That's cool. Have you have you all lived there since the very beginning of your career? Yeah, and then I moved to Austin for a little while and then it was just too expensive and I came back. Austin's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is it, it's a, and also I mean I lived here for a, a while but it is also way more expensive than it was even like 5 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. It just continues to kind of like the cost of living keeps going up and up and up and up. Wow. Yeah, and Indiana's yeah. like it's so cheap to live here. I think it's cool that you guys have never never left, you know. That is sort of like the stereotypical thing. It's like artists uh, leave their little town and go to the city. Is yeah. is that just an economic thing for you guys or is it more? Um, I think it's more of a sentimental kind of thing. Like places affect me quite a bit, so I always get like different feelings every time I'm in a new place and it's kind of like taxing, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know. To me, it's just like, this is definitely home, but I also I love traveling. But it's like, if I'm going to call someplace home, I have to have to kind of just be set and recharge. It's like my recharge zone. Yeah, I get that. So you guys have been home working for the last few months. Um, have you been doing live streaming? Like, So we did one drive-in show in Chicago, and it was went really well, like... It was a pretty ideal situation for receiving live music. You get a car, and you you pay, like, by car, and then, like, families come in, and then they park, and then they have one designated spot next to them with chairs and stuff. Anyway, we weren't doing live streams. We were doing, well, we did a couple live streams, but something happens when you sync up to somebody else to do a live stream, and the audio goes down, the audio quality goes down, like, exponentially. So, I think like, that's the sound of the soul being sucked out yeah, of uh, definitely. what music is. <laughs> definitely. Are you guys, like, trying to book a tour next year, or, like... Um, no, curious. no foreseeable thing in sight. We're trying to... We're making a record, and we're having... We're getting we're getting all those songs like filmed the way we want it. So basically, you're you're kind of making a record and a film of the record at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like we want because we want to release the songs, a live version of the songs, simultaneous to when the record comes out. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm I think it's awesome. You've just been you y'all have been writing songs. You know. Yeah. I mean, there there's so many of the nine bands that we've well more than that actually who've done this like during you know the lockdown uh the vast majority of them they're like this is the first thing i worked on <laughs> oh, really? they're like yeah i haven't done you know i haven't i've done, done live streams i've figured out that kind of stuff you know yeah. but people just aren't really writing songs so i think it's cool yeah, um, awesome. I didn't see that coming. I would expect would expect some pretty baller songs to be to be written by a lot of musicians. Have you written anything about the pandemic? Um, no, because I don't do anything literal. If I ever did write about the pandemic, nobody would ever know it was about the pandemic. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I guess the last little thing I would ask you. I mean, related to this this confession. Um, so the guy goes on this this sailing trip around the Pacific through the Pacific Ocean, which is frankly crazy to me, even as a theory, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he comes back and he proposes. I mean, have you ever done anything that romantic in your life? Um, no, actually, I, I'm I, I'm usually not like an intentionally romantic person. I usually don't think to be like romantic, but. Uh... I mean, I proposed once in in Hawaii, actually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, no shit. <laughs> Which is <laughs> how, hilarious. How, uh, wait, is this the person you're with today? Uh, no. <laughs> no, okay. we actually never ended up getting married. Okay, Which, that was my next question. Yeah, a blessing, you know. 
<laughs> well, so when you say you're not an intentionally romantic person, do you mean like you, do you mean like you don't do big gestures? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like I don't do like grand planned gestures, but I'm like a pretty caring person. So, mm-hmm. so I think a lot of times. Um, things might come off as romantic because I care, you know, but, uh, but no, I, I'm not like an intentional grandiose, uh, romantic person. I got you. And, and again, I totally understand this is not like something you want to talk about in here, but we were trying to schedule this interview and, uh, you mentioned that you have a little baby. Yeah. Uh, are, <laughs> are you with, are you with the baby's mom? No, no. You're, okay. Yeah. And so have have you been seeing like you you've probably been seeing more of your kid than you would normally, no? Um definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um especially because so I don't have like a normal 9 to 5 job, so mm. I can do you know 12 hours a day. Like come over and we'll we'll spend days and days together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And and is it a little boy or a little girl? A uh, little girl. H- how old is your little girl? Um, so one, and I have another daughter who's five, and her name Margot and Sunny, and we, um, we hang out during the week, and you know stay the nights on the weekends. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, man, that that that's a pandemic blessing. Those little things like that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm with them so much though that it's like, you know how like if you were if I was touring. I would see them and then I would come back like weeks or a month later and, and they would grow so much. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I'm with them every day. So they're growing very slowly. <laughs> Life is very <laughs> slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. I, so, so many of my, so many folks I know are, are having the same experience of just like, yeah. man, I'm there every day, you know? Totally. Nice. Well, I think that's basically everything. Man, uh, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for like setting this up, creating. Yeah, thing. no. That was, this, this was a fun tech. I mean, kind of an exercise. It was fun. We like really enjoyed listening to it and, and working on it. That's a, that, that definitely makes me happy to hear. And this dude's going to fucking love it. He will now be a massive, massive fan of everything you do <laughs> because you wrote a song about his life, you know? Yeah. Awesome. So in this confession, something that I found interesting and like kind of a fun little anecdote, and he does kind of, he talks about, he touches on it, but basically the very first day of this trip was straight into a hurricane, thought he was going to die, his life was flashing before his eyes, and he realizes the importance of this long-term relationship that he's been in, and in like, it seems like it's an aha moment, a, a bolt of lightning, he thinks... I need to go propose to my fiance and he makes the decision right there. And it's still the way he says it, it still kind of takes a while for it to actually come about and to set up the perfect proposal and all of that. But, uh, I guess in some ways it feel it's a little related because when you think about your own death, you think about the important things to you. But in another way, it's like this random event that triggered this completely unrelated decision that is life impactful. Yeah. And I kind of love that. I, I love that. It's just, I don't know. He's just like, for for completely unrelated re- reasons, for completely unrelated reasons, he plans the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. How, do you have any experiences like that? Like where some unrelated event has triggered what became a defining decision in your life? That's a really good question. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I really, I really like your question. Do, do you have an example for yourself? Yeah, the main thing I can think of in some strange way is the reason I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, like, 2014, I guess we started playing together end of 2014, right? No, like, the beginning. Beginning of 2014. Yeah. So it was end of 2013 that we like started talking about it. Because I remember it happened in the winter, I think. Yeah. So end of 2013. So yeah, that, that makes sense, actually. So beginning of 2013, I was fully ready to leave Austin. I was moving to LA. I was leaving music behind. Mm -hmm. I was going to start working, uh, in the seafood industry, which was like my dad's industry. Um, 
but my mom's cancer came back and pretty much the day she told me it was back, I canceled all my plans, decided I needed to stay in Austin, but had no clue what I was going to do. And I think maybe two months later, the opportunity to work with you came up. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, you know, like they say, the rest is history. I kind of <laughs> threw, my, threw myself into it full time. And it's, I mean, it's been so defining for me in every single way. You're saying that when you're, when your mom, you found out your mom was sick again. Yeah. It really kind of caused you just to dig in in Austin. Just instantly. In, in all these ways. Instantly. I had a full plan to leave. I was like, yeah. the preparations were made. I had a job lined up. And the day that I found out her cancer was back, I canceled all the plans and decided to dig into Austin, but I didn't know it. I didn't even know yeah, what that meant crazy. at the time. I was leaving the business that I was, uh, you know, had started after college. I was done with that. Yeah. I was like not really playing music full time at that moment. I like a couple hobbyist bands, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really honestly didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I couldn't leave. I love that story because it's led to us being here yeah. today. Which yeah, is, exactly. Which is, yeah, again, like <laughs> it's very hard to imagine our our wagons not being tied. I do have a, I do, I did think of a story. Oh, great. So I went on this tour, actually, that Alexander from Wild Child was on um, when he was in that band Grandchild. I went on this tour and I came back from it. I was living in New York, came back and I was like, I don't want to, I want to do music full time. So in, in my mind, I started shifting towards that. And, um, Four or five months, yeah, four or five months after that tour, I've been keeping this in the back of my mind. I've been making this album at night after I got off my teaching job. My boss uh, sits me down one day and she's like, hey, I just want you to know that um, I know you're more committed to your music than to teaching here. So when the numbers get low at our school in the winter, like, I just want you to know that I'm not going to reserve a teaching job, basically laying me off Mm -hmm. from full-time work. And I was super upset because, you know, I was eking out a living in a super expensive city with this teaching job. But then within 24 hours, I decided that when I got let go, I was going to collect unemployment, (laughs) defraud the state of New York, Go. My mom was working and living in Tanzania. I was like, I'm going to go visit my mom. I'm going to let go of my lease. I'm basically going to live on couches and go on this crazy trip and uh, ultimately move to Austin. That was my whole plan. And it was definitely That's like tight. in 48 hours. And What's the statute of limitations on that defrauding? <laughs> it's been 10 years, right? Uh, yeah, almost. Yeah. Let's hope. <laughs> I definitely wasn't looking for a job, state of New York, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, get, getting laid off, I, I like was like, I am done just, with civil society. Just pushed you right out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the thing about going from, I was able to t- turn without a lease or having to pay utility, you know, I could legitimately live off the unemployment. Oh yeah. I bet, I bet New York unemployment is half decent too, huh? Well, and especially when you're taking New York money and not living there. It's funny how kind of like random events are, are what make you realize like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm going to be a creative forever. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, for me, it, it has been such a journey of just like shedding my suburban upbringing. Yeah. Shedding most of the values my dad instilled exactly. in me. Same here. Where it's <laughs> like... like your paycheck is all that matters. Yeah, and the stability and the like the title on your business card. All that stuff. Yeah, and it's like just letting it all go. You're only going to get 2 weeks of vacation a year, but you're going to go somewhere great and you're going to stay at the best <laughs> resort. Yeah. Yeah. There there is a there is a part of this uh confession that I really love because I think it's a very it's something we encounter a lot in this project where you know, he he told us one amazing story, which was I went on a sailing trip on a whim, almost died, and I got back and was and knew I needed to like finally propose to my long-term girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like that is a great self-contained story. But then the next thing, you know, he told us the second part too, which was how he how he proposed, mm-hmm. which was a completely different story. Totally. But for this guy, you know, they're the same. 
yeah, it's, it's a continuation in a way. And, and I love, I love that quality and I love that he, he did went there, you know, because for him, it's not a Hollywood action movie. It's, that's just his life. And though that one event fed into the other. Mm-hmm. So he sees them as a continuous story. It's just very real, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way, the way he relates to it, I think I, what I think you're saying is like the way, the way he relates to it is not as like, come in and tell us a story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, Oh, I got this great one off. It was like, this is who I am. Yeah. More so than this is a story. It's like, this totally. is, totally. That's exactly this is what me. I'm trying to say. I'm telling yeah. you more about me than I am telling you a story. I think that's been the inadvertent, um, lesson from this project in some ways i mean er, early on i think um a lot of this for us was about inverting the formula Mm -hmm. of where do songs come from how do they come out how do we make them what's the inspiration behind yeah just flip just mixing it up yeah but i think the inadvertent um kind of value in the work for us has just been getting to encounter that in people which is like this is who i am this is the meaningful thing in my life which was not the original purpose no spot on a lot of people they walk by the trailer and they don't their initial reaction isn't oh i have this hilarious story it's i'm gonna tell who i am i'm gonna tell the most meaningful thing that has happened to me or the most meaningful thing that i've translated in my life and uh yeah it's what an honor i mean shit it's a pretty amazing job. The theme song to this podcast is written by Walker Lukens. It is performed by Walker, myself, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Essery, and was mixed by Grant Epley. Some Paradise was written and performed by Houndmouth. That is Zach Appleby, Shane Cody, and Matt Myers. It was recorded by Houndmouth. It was mixed by Jim Eno and mastered by Chris Longwood. The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Jim Eno, Rylan Kettery, Mike Lee, and KUTX. If you like this podcast, the best thing you can do is rate and review it. The second best thing you can do is to send an episode you like to a friend you think would like it. Thanks again, Houndmouth.